We're a Fox OZ podcast classic with them. Congratulations. We are the Voxology <laughs> podcast. Miss Susan, the game time, Mike. Daddy Mike is in the house. Who else is here? We are Foxy Foxy headquarters. We're in the Vox headquarters, <laughs> yes. With Tim Stafford. With Tim That's Stafford right. and? Oh, hi, Tim. Who, and who are you? Seth. Seth who? Seth Erie. Seth Erie. Hey, Tim, what's up? Ladies and gentlemen, we're so glad that you are with us today. Uh, I'm Mike, and uh, our friend Tim Staff, who's been so excellently introduced by my son. Today, I need to tell you, I'm a little bit under the weather, Timothy. And by under the weather, I don't know where where that phrase comes from or what it means, but it's very accurate right now. You feel under the weather? I got, I got, uh, yes, under the clouds. I've got some sort of throat fungal chest cough fever thing happening and uh but you know vox the vox podcast demands weekly episodes so regardless um we're here we're playing hurt today guys it's gonna be okay it'll be glorious that uh we should probably comment on your outfit just to keep things balanced and steady (laughs) mike has on what looks like a shawl it's not a shawl. It is a it is a blanket. It is a very soft blanket. You will. I don't know if I've ever worn a blanket while we've recorded the podcast <laughs> I don't think ever. So. This feels new. This feels fresh. But I was cold today, which is a very strange feeling for me. I'm like, so this, so <laughs> this is, this is yeah, this is what people avoid. For yeah, and and obviously clothes are fair game. I'm always commenting on yours. That's right. But I have my standard black shirt on. And um, anyway, beautiful, beautiful blanket with uh, some light blue accents. That's right. Uh, yep, it really brings out the color. I, I'm definitely a spring. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. All right, so um, I'm going to try to be high energy today, guys. You know, we've got, a, we've got standards to maintain. That's right. I want to say a huge thank you to all of you who um, like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. That that helps make our show discoverable. And then I wanted to thank specifically Melinda, Mallory, and John, who came on the podcast uh, support team. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit and uh, are so grateful that people like them sponsor uh, the work that we do. And uh, we're super grateful. So Thank you uh, to you guys, and as always, if you, if you want to join that team, you can go to patreon.com um, and look up Voxology Podcaster Mike Geary, or you can go to voxologypodcast.com, uh, and there is also a link to something called Tithely, which is often better able or more able to um, assist in kind of one-time uh, gifts. So anyway, uh, that's always, uh, I mean, beyond appreciated, and we're so honored that we have people that come on every week that by the way if you heard did you hear that little bell no no okay that was all happening again no the dryer is off oh the dryer is off and we got comments we got comments about the dryer so (laughs) our farm 
we could have paused the episode and turned the dryer off, but man, when you're in a flow, you don't interrupt that. You just you just let it go. You gotta ladies let it and gentlemen. Go. So besides thank yous, we've got one piece of homework <clears throat> for you homework. if you would consider it. Yep. So we are weeks away from launching our new website. This is actually a truth. Yeah, I would say we, I put it in weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. We have an incredible team of folks who have designed this thing and put it together, and it's outstanding. Um, but what we need from you, if you would, would you go to our landing page, which is voxologypodcast.com. Would you do that right now? Would you put your email in? Because we want to take a survey. I know, just awesome. Surveys are the best. However, we're making some big decisions about the future of the podcast and ancillary things we are wanting to do. We've got certain assumptions about our audience that we want to check and see uh, if they're true. Uh, This will also give you input in terms of topics you'd love to cover or things uh, that you'd love to see beyond the podcast happen. So if if you're willing to, it would mean a lot to us if you take just a couple moments and fire that up. Yeah, we uh, we promise not to spam you like crazy. No spamming, but no we spamming. will send you a survey. And a um, survey. yeah, and, it, and it's super important. And, you know, I know it's I, I, surveys. But anyway, in this case, it matters. And we're actually really interested in the results um, because it will either validate or not some assumptions we've been making. So that would be really important if you're willing to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today. Today. I don't know. Um, you know, we have Tim's troubled times. Mm-hmm. We have Mike's monstrous manners. Mike's miserable musings. I don't remember what we called it exactly. It was Mike's miserable moment. Moment. Well, what was the first thing you just said? Mike's monstrous what? <laughs> manners. Whatever that was, I think we should do. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, <clears throat> we just go out to eat and it'll be evident. <laughs> no, um, but I wanted to, I, I have been running headlong into some Christian cliches this week that are driving oh me crazy. A, a buddy of mine led worship at an event and was told when he was performing some of his own songs that he did not lead people into the throne room. Mm. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and which, uh, and, um, and so they needed to play different songs, which were more along the preferences of, you know, the people who organize the event. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I was just, I was reflecting on the absurdity uh, of that statement. (sighs) Like, yep. Our song, the, the quality of your songs depend on whether or not we will get into the throne room. I mean, it just, it's, it's so, uh, I don't even have words for how ridiculous I find it. But I was thinking, it made me think of all of the, the God talk, the empty, meaningless God talk I was immersed in when I first became a, a student of Jesus, but more uh, accurately, a you know, member of the evangelical subculture. Yeah. And so I was thinking about, I keep, I've kept journals for years and years and years. And every now and again, I go back and I read them, and they're hilarious. Um, and they give me such a great, <laughs> such a great perspective on the the positive side of the faith community that nourished me and raised me and totally. Um, and then and then also just some things that I realized that 
we're a part of that whole thing that weren't necessarily, you know, as we kind of grow, um, weren't necessarily part of the, the biblical tradition, but we're more part of a cultural tradition. Mm-hmm. And there was just lots of God talk. And by God talk, I mean things like God told me, God led me. I have a peace. I don't have a peace. God called me. Um, God didn't call me. Like there's this this whole sub-genre of theology about how it is that we determine God's will for our individual lives. There were huge debates about this yeah. when I was uh, in college and after. And there were different ways or uh, means of devising uh, or divining God's will for certain situations. And, and I... Um, so I wanted to just spend a little bit of time in honor of not being taken to the throne room, <laughs> sort of beating up a little bit on some of the cliches uh, or empty God talk that I've used that, that actually can turn out to be quite harmful. Mm. And um, particularly when spoken by those in power, it's sort of, we, we called it the God card when we were a little more cynical. You play the God card when you are in a discussion with somebody and you just say, well, I just felt like God told me to do this. Totally. Um, and are you gonna argue with God? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I, wanna, I wanna introduce this by, um, I mean, I was always taught that God's, God had a plan for my life right. and that that plan was different from other plans, that I had unique sort of work to do and to that end i was given unique spiritual gifts yeah and um and that there were decisions that were in the bible that were obvious loving your neighbor not murdering but there were other decisions about who to marry where to go to college what sort of job to have that god had a will on and that there were there was a process that you would engage in to kind of help discern some of these big decisions in your life and and the implication rarely said but i remember it being said is is that it's possible to miss out on god's will for your life Mm. and obviously i mean that's a big deal right if god has a perfect will for your life and you miss it um that's something you ought to be concerned about and so loads of conversations about how you know uh, god's will relates to my will and my dreams, my yep. ambitions, whatever. I mean, and Tim, speak into all this. I know, I know you've walked these same lines and walked these same roads. And um, and I was years after that sort of college finding the meaning of life phase. I came across a quote uh, from Emily Collette, and and it totally shifted, it, or it began to shift the way I viewed um, God's will. This is something you found in the past. Yes. Not yes, this yes, yes. Not this week. No. No, this week I found some sort of virus. Um, this is true. That is spamming my immune system with all sorts of glory. Yeah. No, this was, this was the quote. It was, we may be startled at realizing that the New Testament has next to nothing to say about the ways of ascertaining God's will for one's life, which is a major concern for us, yet one seemingly unknown to the early Christians. Hmm. For as much emphasis as we put on it, um, there, there, when you actually go to the New Testament, there's hardly anything. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I was thinking about, okay, why, why, how have we come to a moment when, when this sort of God talk and, and this preoccupation with God's will for my individual life, where does that come from? Yeah. And, and so I want to, I want to riff a little bit on, then I want you to participate in case my brain is fuzzy, but fuzzy even if, fuzzy. yes, my blanket's fuzzy. Um, even if, um, well, I don't know what I was going to say, but I want you to participate mm-hmm. because of what I, I, I want to just start talking about, okay, so, so how did we arrive at the place where the, in, God's individual for my life is like a very important thing for me to figure out? Yeah. If her quote is true, and it is, that this is hardly ever discussed uh, in the Bible, if ever, and we'll get to that in a little bit, then, then what happened to, to make it such a pre- predominant sort of concern among uh, evangelical folks? Um, and so a couple of thoughts. One is uh, there, there's a movement um, I don't know, late 17th, early 18th centuries called uh, Romanticism, mm. where the, the preoccupation of, of human uh, thinking became the self and the interior life of the self rather than the ideal society or culture or whatever as it had been before. And uh, this became especially pronounced in religious circles, when salvation um, later in the 18th and early 19th centuries became construed as something that happened in your heart, you accepted Jesus in your heart, you prayed to him in your heart. We even have a song uh, that we sing sometimes called King of My Heart, which I have no effing clue what that means <laughs> at all. But that's a that's a kind of a romantic notion, right? That my yeah. feelings are, are what matters most Mm-hmm. And they're a reliable guide to decisions. And the goal of salvation is to, you know, feel certain feelings. Yeah, you have to, you have to feel correctly if you're going to be able to be, enter the throne room. So Correct. music's really got to prime you for that. <laughs> Absolutely, ma'am. <clears throat> and, um, and, and, and there were, you know, this talk of like, well, I have peace about this decision. Yeah. And I mean, that's just never said ever in the New Testament, ever. Often... You didn't feel peace when you know Paul's being beaten almost to death or thrown mm-hmm. over a city wall or whatever. You would feel the opposite of peace as you're languishing in prison. So, so one contributing factor to this idea is that that Christianity, the goal of Christianity is self fulfillment, and self fulfillment means self actualization or the fulfillment of desire, mm-hmm. which are all internal states. So, Christianity primarily is about an inner relationship I have with Jesus. And on in and as you cash that out, part of that means um, feeling at peace with God in doing God's work in the world. But when that kind of romantic ideal gets wedded to capitalistic um, dynamics, that uh, that we are in uh, in modern conception, we are forced to see ourselves as um, isolated individuals in competition with each other for limited um, status, honor, wealth, each making our own way in the world, um, you know, fighting uh, for upward mobility. We're out there establishing our identity, my identity, my career, uh, buying homes, accumulating stuff, hoping then to reach 
kind of whatever the American dream turns out to be, which, you know, um, at least one expression of it is the freedom to retire when I'm still young enough to just enjoy uh, a high quality of life. Yeah. Hence Gombas's love of capitalism. Yes, exactly. So you, if you wed the romantic ideal of, Hey, Christian Christianity is something I feel in my heart with the capitalistic dynamics of I'm I'm primarily primarily to be seen as a member who both produces and consumes yep. of a, of a certain society. Then what you get um, is the baptism in Christian terms of this sort of vocational pursuit, right? Totally. Yeah. And the, when you talk about feeling peace, and then we decipher for an American what it means to be at peace, right? And which usually kind of means what makes me feel joyful or content or happy. Yep. Yeah. So, you yep. know, all those things, that thread is a short thread to pull to see how that plays itself out. Totally. Totally. So, so, um, knowing God's will then in the particulars is super important because yep. God's, if, if, um, if God does have a specific will, then that specific will is going to be better than my will. And, um, and so it becomes very important and, and, and it's so funny. I mean, it's, uh, it's totally a modern invention to see ourselves as our jobs, you know, in, the, yeah. in theological terms, you always saw yourself as part of your community. Hmm. Now it is totally and almost exclusively as part of your vocation. Uh, yeah. And, um, and so, so evangelical sort of spirituality gets gets corrupted by these dynamics yeah. and, and, and in return baptizes those things as pursuit of God. Yeah. Right. And I'm guilty. I mean, this is all stuff I've done. I was absolutely obsessed. I mean, there were huge decisions I've made and there were times I felt like God did speak. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but I just want to set up the, the idea, <laughs> first of all, that our preoccupation with, uh, I feel led, I feel called, I feel peace isn't a biblical preoccupation. Yeah. Um, when Paul uses call language, and God has some really good stuff on this. When God uses call language, uh, when Paul uses call language, he's talking about being called to Christ yeah. and called to the community of Christ. And then when Paul talks about something else, he uses different language. Yeah. So there isn't a calling to vocational ministry. There isn't a calling to be a student. There's called to Christ and whenever Paul talks about that when you were called, what he means is when you were called to Jesus, and then he will also talk about being called to the church. Now, he'll mention his specific calling as an apostle, um, but, but that's not something he expands. He only uses that language to talk about his solidarity with the people, He will the churches he's writing to. So he'll say, I've been called as an apostle. You've been called as the church. So we're co-laborers together. Hmm. We've both been called. We both share right. a calling together. So, um, so there's some dynamics that kind of undergird all of this, you know, God talk. Um, there, there's also, it, the, this God talk also creates kind of a fear and pressure, as we've already said, that you could miss it. What if I marry the wrong person? What if I don't take the right job? What if I go to the wrong college? I mean, there's a, there's a bit of pressure in there. And I remember feeling that, you know, being paralyzed. Well, I don't know which one is right. So God, you totally. have to, you have to show me. Yeah. This sort of God talk also leads a lot to misunderstanding. And um, there, there's one really tragic 
kind of example of this where, you know, people will say, they'll express their desire to God for something. And then they'll say, like Jesus said, uh, but not my will, God, yours be done. So, you know, um, someone is dying from cancer. God, I want them to be healed, but not, not my will, yours be done. And it sounds super amazing. Um, and very pious, but it has the unfortunate implication of implying that whatever does happen ends up being God's will. And as we've said a thousand times, that is not the biblical portrait. God's will isn't the only will being done on earth. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And and we wrestle with that. You know, we have our own um, dear audience. We have our own, uh, several of us have our own little chat, Marco Polo stream. And we're always complaining about, well, if you say that God healed this person, then you have to say he didn't heal this person. Yeah. Um, and if it's if it was God's will that, that you know, if my will was that they, they're healed and then they're not, well, then it must have been God's will that they weren't. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, is, that is an absolute, absolutely devastating misunderha- misunderstanding. In our view, and in the Bible's view, God's will isn't happening in the world. Yeah. That's why we have to ask with Jesus, you know, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Right? So, so a lot of this talk leads not only to fear and pressure, but it can lead to pretty major misunderstanding. And then, and then most tragically, this kind of language is so manipulatable. Yeah. Right? It's so easy to manipulate people when using this language and we've already referenced it right who are you to argue with god and uh i don't remember the theologian but i'd read somewhere somebody was saying listen if somebody says i feel called or i feel led or i feel a peace just substitute the phrase i want to right in in for that for that god talk and just say they want to and um but that doesn't sound spiritual. We, we, we have this weird sort of relationship with desire and ambition where, um, and I do too, I'm messed up and our mutual friend Kevin is always on me about this because I, I really, I don't know the difference between good ambition or bad ambition. And so I just avoid it altogether, um, <laughs> uh, which is, isn't a healthy thing either. But so I'm speaking as one who is part of, you know, this issue yeah um it is uh it doesn't feel spiritual enough to just say well i i want to do this um it uh, you know adding that extra god called or god led particularly in a church environment and I've, i've done this where you're speaking kind of as an elder board as the highest level of authority over a local church and just to say well this is how we feel like god has led us again what are you going to say to that you know, and um, I think there are ways that you can say that without without it feeling so power um, power differentiating. Um, yeah, because you know I do think God leads at times, especially in community. But I just want to highlight for the moment how easily. Yeah, I mean, I and I've I've just heard of people walking up to other people say, Hey, God told me we were going to get married, which man, (laughs) what a, 
Oh, what do you even? Yeah, what do you even say to that? Except what a just insanely yep. manipulative pickup yep. line. Yeah, yeah. And so, like Christian colleges are just known for this sort of weirdness. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's this just awful, awful way, and and you can see it in the hands. You can see it in the hands of somebody like a Driscoll. Um, how how malicious this sort of language can be wielded yeah. against people. You know, I am I am God's called representative. I have a story of when God called me into ministry. Um, you know, and that calling has not been revoked. And so, who are you? I mean, you just you can you can pull that thread. Yeah, and with someone like him, you can't revoke it. Like, right. I mean, there's no confronting somebody who carries that kind of like, yeah, anger or power behind saying, you know, yeah, right, messed up system. So, so we want to we want to find better language and a better theological conception for this sort of conversation. Yeah, um, for all the reasons we've just mentioned. And the nice thing is, lo and behold. The Bible is full of admonitions uh, towards something called wisdom. Mm. And yes, rather than some mysterious seven-step process by which you will discern the secret will of God, um, you learn wisdom and you grow in wisdom and you mature in wisdom. And part of the Bible's role isn't to spell out all the bits of wisdom in every scenario, but to provoke with its stories, its parables, even its laws. <clears throat> which we've talked about, like being able to be a critical thinker, but even the, the amount unwinding this ball, it goes back so far because I, I mean, I don't know how many conversations I had about if God would just like, if God could just send an email or God could just send a text yeah. message with exactly yeah. what and yeah. it creates like existential dread. Cause you're a, you're saying I, I can't hear God's will or yeah. whatever for my life. And so that like that opens questions of like, why can't I? What's wrong with me? I am not yeah. spiritual enough. And then making the wrong choice. And I mean, it's just so much dread. Because if you make the wrong choice, you're going against God's will for your life. Right. And, right. That's, you know, it's just our generation has so much dread within that conversation. Oh, my goodness. That we've carried into our marriages and our you yeah. know, parenting and our job choice. And and, and I now have with deconstruction being so big, it's it's leaked into church. Like, oh. No, it's such a good point. And I myself have reflected back on teaching I've done or things I've said or uh, understandings I've had where God is always speaking to me individually as par- a central part of like your walk with God. Yeah, It's like you need to learn to listen. And um, God's always speaking. And I think in a nuanced way that's true, but I would never say it like that anymore. Yeah. Um, so, so let's get into some nuance, Timothy. Yeah. Let's just not, let's not just let's sit on the, yeah. Yeah. Cause I do think there are ways of talking about, um, this that are very biblical. Um, so theologians, and I don't know if this is, or if these are helpful distinctions, but this at least gets the convo started. I don't, yeah. cause I, I just don't, so much of what we do in theology are introduce divisions into places where there probably aren't any. And this is one of those, I think, examples. But but theologians often distinguish between God's will of decree, 
God's will of desire and God's will of direction. And again, it's all got to start with the same letter because that's what we very that's what we do totally. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> These are not my words, by the way. Um, God's will of decree is the fact that God can just say, "Let there be light," mm. and there's light. You know, Paul hints it like in Ephesians when when um, he's talking to the church and he says, "In Him you were also chosen, not as individuals." We'll get to predestination someday. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity, the purpose of his will. Mm. Right? There are some things that God is just going to make sure happen. Now, he can make sure the sun comes up because he set natural laws uh, and physical laws in place. And that, that, you know, Paul conceives of Jesus holding those up um, right. in his present ministry. I have no idea what that means. But you could say that God's will is the sun still comes up, um, you know, in a sense. Um, you, you get glimpses around the crucifixion of Jesus. That this, was, this was God's plan from way before. So there are instances in the Bible where God just decrees that something's going to happen, and it happens, right? There isn't a will strong enough or powerful enough or intelligent enough to compete with his, right? as it should be if God is who we say God is. But because God has decreed that the beings that he has made in his image bear his image in their freedom to fulfill vocation, um, there's a sense in which God also has a will of desire and that desire isn't always fulfilled. I mean, God's desire is not for murder, but murders happen. God's mm -hmm. desire is not for uh, infidelity, but infidelity occurs. And so God has a kind of, some, some will call it a moral will. The problem is that's not always expressed perfectly in the Bible, because as we've talked about, a lot of what's expressed in the Bible is accommodation. Mm -hmm. And we read it as the ideal when it's in actuality, it's just dealing with the real of the circumstances right. that are they're going on. So we have to be super careful, but, but things like, you know, treating people as image bearers, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? I mean, we can, we just know those are God's will always. And we can, in, in terms of our image bearing, either walk in that way of living or not. And so, so theologians will speak of kind of God's permissive will or his will of desire. And then there's his will of direction, which is, okay, what job do I take? Who do I marry? Is there a specific plan for my life? Right. And, and this is the one I think we need to lose. Um, this is the one I, I just want to, I want to spend some time beating up on because I think understanding, uh, the, the character and heart of the father is revealed in Jesus leads us into wisdom and it's wisdom then that guides us. Now, yeah. part of that wisdom is prayer. Part of that wisdom is counsel. Part of that wisdom um, is being immersed in the voice of Jesus and understanding how Jesus works, right? So we we avoid the midnight mass situations, <laughs> yeah. um, Goal right? So one. yes, so 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 I want to beat up on the idea that God has a will of direction for us individually. Yeah. Um, I just want to say I just want to say I don't see much evidence of that in the Bible. Now there are instances where Paul will want to go, I want to go over here, and then the Holy Spirit closes the door, and I want to go over here, and the Spirit of Jesus resists them, and then 
uh, in a dream, somebody from Macedonia shows up and says, hey, come to Macedonia. Right. So in that case, there was a very specific will, right? Yeah. And there are some instances in the Old Testament where, man, God, I mean, like, I'm going to, I'm going to check the dew the next morning to see if, you know, you've, you've answered the fleece that I've thrown out here or, you know, the woman that, that ends up offering to water my horse, that's the one that you will have for me. Right. And and it's interesting because there's like, God has, he seems like he's used particular people to move the story forward. Yes. And that's the point of those stories. Yeah. And like, you know, getting knocked off your horse by a blinding light is a real direct, like, yes, but we all really want to be, especially if you are subconsciously, your ego has set you up to be the main, main character of the story, which I think many of us, I am very guilty of that. Many people I think are struggle with like seeing life only through the lens that you, it's the Truman show. We're all kind of like, yeah. When I come around a corner, everybody's just standing there waiting as actors until I yeah. come into the scene and then it exists. So it's yeah. hard to read. I can see why it gets difficult, especially with all this language, totally. to not be like, well, ha- this is how God spoke to Paul. Paul had a profound effect. What am I missing? Right. That, I'm not, that God's not speaking that way so I can have a profound effect on my community and in the world and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yes. The goal of I have to do great things for God. Yes. Oh, and that's just a toxic combination of romanticism and capitalism, right? Yep. I, I've yep. got to be successful for God. Um, and, and the reason the traditional view of God's will is having a will of direction in all circumstances. The reason that's attractive to us is that it helps us, um, it helps us avoid faith. Um, it helps us manage risk. It helps us Right, because I mean, so much of my Christian life has been spent avoiding trust, like where mm-hmm. I'm not in control, kind of trust. So I was told, you know, listen, pray for your kids every day, read the Bible to them, and they turn out. You know, don't yeah. have sex before marriage, and your sex life after marriage will be great. Um, yeah. If you give, you cannot give God. So if you give money to God, God <laughs> will take care of you. Right. And and all of those things are sometimes true, but the reason they're so attractive to believe is that I don't have to have faith then in God. I'm, I'm, there's some sort of formula at work that I can trust. Yeah, absolutely. God and and I have a contract. Yeah. And the results for why you do them are, you know, don't have sex before marriage so that you can have this. It's all self-interest. It's all of it. Yeah. It's all yep. bait and switch prize. Like you're going to win the prize if you play the game yeah. right. It's all consumeristic. It's um, squid games, but in a theological setting. Whoa. I've not watched that yet, but <laughs> we might have to have a squid games episode. I don't know. <laughs> have you seen it? Yeah, I watched it. Okay. Is it worth watching? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's worth watching for the conversation that's going on with everybody because it's the number one show in the world. Oh, um, wow. I don't. Th- I I didn't think it was as good as Midnight Mass, or and I, yeah, I don't want to say anything else. Okay. It's a short. It's a short thing to binge through, especially if you're not feeling good and you have time on the couch. Yeah, I got time on the couch, baby. So, and and I also think part of the fear that we have, and and I'm sure this is true now. I see it with my kids more than I saw it with myself, but I saw it with myself too. Is just it's what sociologists call the paradox of choice. Right, the more choices we have, the more unhappy we become. 
And so the freedom to not choose and to have something chosen for us is a great gift, right? So, um, because even the word decide, it comes from a Latin word that means to cut off. So you're cutting off possibility, right? You get married and you're cutting off possibility. You commit to a career, you're cutting off possibility. You commit to a church, you're cutting off possibility. And so to be relieved of that, I, I think is very an, a, a very attractive scenario. Um, yeah, because it also relieves the other side of that with the um, when you make the wrong choice, feeling the you know feeling yeah. the personal repercussions or guilt or whatever for. Yep. Yep. I screwed it up. Yeah. If yep. someone else can screw it up for me, then I can just be like, "What, man? What'd you do that for?" Or. I can use God talk to make myself feel better because yeah. if it's from God, then good will come from it. Not my will, but yours be done. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> so it's just kind of insidious, right? That, yeah. that a lot of this really well-intentioned language in the Bible sort of gets narcissistically and individually applied to my consumeristic modality of life. Yeah. Narcissism and, is a, seems to be a key Oh, key element through this whole thing. Oh my goodness. It's the, it's the basis of all of our hermeneutics. What does this do for me? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, to, and I'm working so hard to try to overcome that Yeah. by saying, well, you know, I think God speaks more in community than he speaks to us individually. And even when he speaks, I think he, he's giving wisdom. He's not giving direction and blah, 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 blah. But think about all of the, the ways in which this sort of traditional view of God's will as having a will of direction. I mean, it makes us preoccupied with the future, right? I, yep. I spend, I mean, the amount of energy I have to spend, it, it makes God out to sort of be a sneaky bastard, right? He has a will and I and he's not gonna tell me unless I jump through whatever hoops. Yeah, it's like an archeology. span like Yes. Gotta, the penitent man will pass. Yeah, and, and it also takes away from the most important matters. You know, love, justice, mercy, yeah. and it focuses on what college, what four-year college I'm going to attend. Right. You know what I mean? So you're, you're I mean, it's, those are almost exclusively non-moral decisions. Like, I love what Stanley Hauras says, like, about marriage. He's like, you never marry the right person because the right mm. person doesn't exist. Right. No, there's still wisdom, and there are better people or worse people, but there is no right person. Yeah. It's going to be hard regardless. with anybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Regardless. And so I, I think the Bible sort of introduces us into that way of thinking about things and not there is a golden path. And that golden path means comfort, convenience, never having to risk, never having to trust, never having to, you know, fail or look dumb. And I just am just like, no, nah. because how many relationships have failed? And I know there are toxic marriages and there's so much abuse. Oh, I'm tons. talking about that. But like, I wonder how many marriages have failed just strictly because of the fact that they, this idea of, you know, the right one or whatever, you know, as yeah. you were just talking about it and then being, and then, and then coming up with your, you know, first few conflicts of marriage and being like, oh no, oh, we wrong did one. This. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Eject. Is that the dryer? Did you hear that? It's the dryer. The dryer is back. Yeah. Has it done it a couple times? I don't know. I was talking, oh. but evidently it has. So welcome back, dryer. <laughs> my fam, my whole family's here, so I'm not gonna. You know, hey, we're not. We'll just 
It's a new Push feature on. of the podcast. Yes. It's a survey question. Do you like the dryer? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so in the grand scheme, um, I think what the, the scripture teaches, and, and I'll cover this very, very quickly because we talk about it all the time, but what it teaches is genuine participation in the work of God. And there are times God seems to have um, special revelation, right? Can he speak in dreams? Can he speak in visions? Can he speak in impressions that he gives us? I think all of that is possible. The problem is the language then we use to describe that makes it much more definitive than it really is. Yeah. Because the, the biggest trap of this way of thinking of God's will is just hopeless subjectivism. Right? What what's yeah. peace to you versus peace to me? And yep. it just no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So let's get rid of that language. I'm not called, I was called to Christ and I'm called to my church. Right? I feel like I'm gifted to be a pastor um, and a teacher, but I'm also gifted to do lots of other things. There isn't anything more spiritual about that that gifting than, you know, if I were gifted to play football, which Well, can you look at it too with like, I have chosen the calling of being a father or I have like, not like I was called to be a father, but I have accepted or chosen to partake in the calling of a father and the calling of a husband. And then all the the duties that come with that are part of the calling that I have chosen. Yeah. Or even, I mean, maybe identity is a better word there. Okay. Um, Because... Again, I could just imply, yeah, I've taken up the calling of a pastor. And right. so that there's this there's this extra thing out there that's that I've embraced that other people haven't. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would just wanna I don't know. I mean I'm just thinking I'm we're just riffing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just asking um, questions. But in Genesis one and two, how does God display sovereignty? Well, he displays it. In this interesting dynamic of him both being sovereign and over everything and intimately involved with the creatures he's made. Both are true. So there are parts. I mean, evil doesn't win. God will remake the world. We know those things are true. But there's all of this invitation to take up our original vocation as being fully human people. And, And notice there just isn't a lot of instruction about, well, here's how you find the job that you're supposed to have right. or the person you're supposed to, there's none of that. Instead, what there is, is there's all sorts of wisdom and the wise person will make wise choices. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the danger becomes when we turn wisdom into a formula and just say, well, okay, here's the book of Proverbs and that's yeah. wisdom. So, you know, if we spare the rod, we will spoil the child. Right. And that's a formula. And we turn, and again, that's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is improvisation. Wisdom is not yeah. knowing the right thing to do, but making a choice based on what you think the right thing to do is. Yep. I like that. You know, and just then walking in that choice. And that seems to be exactly what Jesus is describing. The only time he seems to brush up against this is in Matthew six in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about, listen, don't go chasing after clothes. Don't go chasing after food don't or go what you will wear. Waterfalls. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Yes. Great call, Timothy. And um, instead pursue the kingdom and the things yeah. of the kingdom and all these other things will take care of themselves. And that's interesting too. Cause how does that, ver- um, 
and all these things will be added onto you. Yeah. Right. Is I don't, the, I don't think that's what I don't. Well, I mean, it's interesting what that would imply then within that context. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I think we've read that in the way that you're yeah. picking apart and it's interesting to then look at that in the nuance of the, how you're presenting it now. Absolutely. For the, the what point, that means. The point there isn't that God keeps the birds safe, so he'll keep you safe. Right. Jesus knows the birds are sacrificed. And then he, <laughs> he even talks about the grass and the flowers, which are thrown away into the fire. So he's yeah. not talking about safety and security. Which is exactly how that verse is taught. Absolutely. Instead, what he's talking about is carefreeness. When you pursue the kingdom... Because what the point he's making is whatever you treasure there, it will either cause anxiety or your st- stability for you. Yeah. So you're treasuring. So if you, if you want to feel worry, worry is always connected to, in, to wrong treasuring, right? right? So if I treasure my youth, I will worry about growing older. If I treasure my health, I will worry about being sick. If I treasure my looks, I will worry about not looking great, right? Man, that's a whole, that's, there's a whole series in that. Oh, so good. So he says, but what you can do is treasure the kingdom. And there, moth and rust won't destroy it, and thieves can't steal it. Pandemics can't touch it. To what that means and how he has presented the kingdom here and now, and et cetera. So it's interesting. Yeah. It just requires more work, Mike, is what it all comes down to. That's what wisdom is, right? So the promise isn't, hey, to treasure the kingdom and you'll be safe. Right. Because the two examples he gives are not safe. But he says, if you treasure rightly, you can feel secure. You are secure in God's world. And then Even you though, have, and they pull the thread on that. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're not going to be martyred nope, for your faith or get nope, a car accident? But you know totally. what I mean? Because that's also the way that's presented. Absolutely. No. Uh, what, it, what it means, uh, at least it, in the way that Jesus frames it, is that you will never lose that treasure. Yeah. That's all that it means. If you treasure the kingdom, you cannot lose it. Pandemics, stock markets, governments. And you can see all of the anger and anxiety in evangelical culture is because we don't treasure the kingdom, right? Yep. We, we're fighting a culture war for something that we treasure. We're fighting economic policies for something we treasure and so on, so on, so on. And now we're fighting it within for like just the term evangelical and... Totally. I say uh, let them have the term. That's fine. Oh, they I don't can, want it. They can have it. So instead, and Paul has a really interesting thing that he talks about, uh, about God's will. Um, and, and, and he doesn't mean here will of direction, all right? He means walking in God's ways. Okay. Uh, but he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is. In other words, you will be able to see that God's will is good. Yeah. But that comes from a renewed mind. And what's a renewed mind? A mind that's not conformed to old creation and dynamics of old creation, right? This is a mind that learns wisdom. It's yep. not a mind that is somehow reading messages in the stars or clouds or, you know, wherever. So it's just absolutely genius how he's talking about it. The well, invitation, the, sac- the being the sac- or how what is the words? Uh, um, in being a sacrifice, you become that becomes a spiritual act of worship. 
Yes. I'm, I'm trying to recall off the top of my head, but when we talk about worship as an act of justice or the justice is intertwined with worship and what, how the implications of what it means to be a living sacrifice. So it's when you start to pull all those threads and look at what it means to be conformed to the kingdom. Yes. And how justice yes. is, we, you know, we just did God's justice three episodes yeah. ago or so. Yep. Yep. So you can go back to kind of parse through that language, but what that means if justice is intertwined with the spirit of worship, I don't know. There's just like, as you start to like, you take those big, um, when yep. you take those big words and those elements of that short passage, right. but pull the threads on each of them to what it mean, what each of those things means. I don't know. I think it's just really interesting and opens up a lot of like, this is what it looks Absolutely. like to live here. This is what it looks like to participate. And this is how you gain wisdom in choosing or in like sorting through what you're looking at. Well, and, and this is so, so very important, Timothy, you raise, um, you raise such a great point and the point was so good. I forgot it, um, (laughs) for the moment that dang it. (laughs) Oh, shoot. I don't remember it. You had, it was something good. And then my lovely wife walked down the stairs. I looked back and it was gone. Gone. Yes. Anyway. Um, and, and if, if you do. Oh, oh yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. The, the, the worst word in that whole sentence that we just read is the word spiritual, your spiritual mm-hmm. act of worship. Spiritual yeah. for us means internal. Right. For Paul, spiritual means animated by the spirit. Yeah. So, so he'll talk about in first Corinthians, a spiritual body that doesn't mean it's ghostly, but it means it's animated by, by something other than the flesh. Because uh, flesh and spirit are new creation, old creation words. Yeah. And so yeah. Um, in old creation, there were, there were dead sacrifices that were offered. In new creation, there are living sacrifices that are given that are freely chosen. All that is but, to say... I think, that, I think that's big like in this that's whole huge. conversation. Because that idea... Because we live... That understanding of spirit being this like you know in inside me or in a spiritual realm or something right. is right. How, largely how we were all trained yes at least in our generation to exist like our, that's where our faith exists right like yeah a lot in my of heart like, yeah i've accepted jesus in my heart and like the, he is there's king a of my heart culture that was fostered around that ideology right, right. um which, which is so not true yeah that's the other, the other, another point to this is God's will. When Paul does speak of God's will in moral terms, it's written corporately mm. to churches. So like, for instance, uh, it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual morality and that you learn to control your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's God's will. That's more than, I don't need any more of God's will than that. That, that takes up my full day right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Or he'll say, be joyful, always pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. But again, written to a church. Right. Right. Um, uh, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit and every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Yeah. Be very careful in Ephesians, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he gives five imperatives 
uh, to the church. Do not get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music. Always giving thanks. Right? To the church. There's God's will. Yeah. Um, uh, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. You know? So, so there's a sense of, well... The, like Mark Twain has this great line where he says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that concern me. It's the right. parts that I do understand that concern me. Yeah. Like if you're really interested in God's will, that list is big enough. Yeah. Um, so what, what, uh, so three things that help kind of constitute wisdom. All right, one, and this one is so obvious, and Proverbs is full of this, but, but the counsel of, of others. Yeah. Like, one of the things I love that my kids do is they let us be involved in their dating relationships, hmm. you know, to know the person, to, I mean, I just think that's so great. Um, yeah. My son, and I, he doesn't listen to this, so he won't know, but I, like, he just started going to counseling on his own. He was just a free resource, and he talks about it to all of his friends. Just like yeah, there we have a counselor. So rad. Yeah, I mean he he just I had no idea. It's just a great. I mean I'm I'm just like and he's super open about it. And I was like, how great that like it's natural for you to just think, oh yeah, I need to I need to be processing with people. Yeah, right. I mean that's just ah oh, so helpful. Yeah. So and and for me, I've always believed in community, but I've never allowed community close enough to have real power. Right. And to see real weakness. So this one's an easy one to fake. Yeah. You know, you could just, hey, I want to pick your brain on something, Tim, and let's go out to lunch, and I've just got this. And, uh, you know, you'd be like, well, I think, you know, you could probably do this. And, oh, okay. That's not the kind of community we're talking about. Right. You know? Um, We're talking about the kind of community I've walked in the last couple of years that has been ruthless, gracious, um... Um, honest and 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 willing to for the sake of the good uh willing to speak out all sorts of things right i mean that's like and and a huge step for me was trusting that kind of community so this is i can't tell you how much i've learned this in spades and and have grown um one is a piece of wisdom is prayer obviously man I mean, there's this, there's this line given to the church in James, if any one of you lacks wisdom, and this is very specific. This is about wisdom on how to treat people in the greater context. But if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Um, okay. Or, you know, when Jesus, we talked about this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like, ask and seek and knock. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I've asked I don't ask for signs. I don't ask for wonders and I don't ask for answers. I ask for wisdom. Yeah. And and then you seek it. And that's the third part. It's not just counsel and it's not just prayer, but it's action. And this, you know, there was a period of my life where I used to pray. So in in struggling with all of this kind of calling and um, whatever stuff, I remember there was a very distinct time period of my life where I used to just pray for wisdom because I remember thinking about how, you know, Solomon, like asking for one thing and asking for wisdom and how important it was that Solomon was so wise. 
And I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for that too. Yeah. But no part of it. I, I just outcome. did that. It, well, I just, I just asked. Yeah. And I just kept praying, God, give me wisdom. And, and I don't know that God doesn't answer that or whatever, but I, at no point did I really seek yeah. what you like, seek that out. I just yeah. kept saying, God, I thought I was being so humble. Like, don't yeah. give me riches. Don't give me power. Give me wisdom. I'm like, oh, oh. God's going to eat that up, man. He's going to. Dude, like, he loves that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And those of us who know you would say he has. I so, think that I, I think that I grew in that more though when I did start to seek people yes, out and, and yes. try to like cultivate other voices and other minds and hearts that were trying to be humble in their pursuit of like this whole thing. And I began to learn from that. Yeah. Uh, but I think in, when I was just praying, God sent a lightning bolt of wisdom to my head so that I might totally. wow people with my humility yeah. and wisdom. Yeah. Uh, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. I yeah. don't think. No. And I don't want to diminish um, God's seeming willingness at times to speak directly and to guide I just directly. I have no idea what that means. Yes. So I won't speak down to it or up to it. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I, yep. Yep. I have, I have a couple of instances where... Um, there was a specific phrase that came into my head um, in such a timely, um, non-sought-after way that was totally life-altering that I'm like, well, it wouldn't shock me. You did know? you, when that happened, did you take that to people? Like... Is there a council of wisdom of people? Absolutely. That, yeah, Absolutely. So I, so I wonder if that's, Yeah. I don't yep. know, you know, like many of us probably have a word come into our head, whether it's from God or whether it's from a yeah. book we read a long time ago or a TV show that we had watched and forgotten, but totally. thought, and then totally. just make decisions based upon that yeah. without the wisdom of others to say, eh, or, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm totally, I'm totally open to dreams, visions, words of knowledge, whatever, whatever's in the new Testament, I'm open. I don't think that stuff has shut off. Yeah. I just think we abuse it. And even when it does happen, we talk about it in ways that make it easily abusable. Well, I wonder if it's like, you know, when you read about speaking in tongues and it's like, don't do that unless there's someone there that can. Yeah. It's all communal. Or, yeah, right. exactly. Right. And that's a spiritual gift that has to be determined communally. So you start to think about the other spiritual gifts through yeah, that, yeah, that I, yeah. hey, we test prophecy Yeah, as a exactly. church. Don't just believe it. Yeah. Right? If you have a private prayer thing, which Paul seems to say is legit, then don't go blurting that out unless someone's there interpreting it. It's because yep. you're not the point. Yep. Um, I mean, it's the whole, it's the whole thing. But, but I want to, I want to walk a really mysterious line to say that God's predominant way of working seems to be in partnership with humans who are learning and seeking the kingdom and the and and following the ways of wisdom which begin with the the fear and respect of Yahweh yeah and that those choices begin to self confirm you know you realize the way of generosity is better than the way of hoarding or the way of uh, forgiveness is better than the way of bitterness yeah 
and um, and so you mature into wisdom. But but notice, I want to go just as we close a little bit. I want to go into some texts that give a wide just just to re- help undermine the traditional view of this that just give wide latitude. Like, I mean, here's one. Uh, Paul's talking about um, believing spouses and non believing wives married to non-believing husbands and about whether it's okay to divorce them if they're unbelievers. And, and there's all sorts of context to this, but just notice a woman is bound to her husband as long as she, as he lives, right? There's some moral will, but if the, her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. So who's the driver of who she marries next? She, she is. is. Yeah. And he says, but it, he must belong to the Lord, which is wisdom. Right? Or, or Paul, Paul will say, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent Timothy, who was our brother, to strengthen and encourage you. We thought it best. When I arrive, Paul will say in another place, I will give you letters of introduction to the men you approve of and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to do so, they will accompany me. Yeah. Advisable. Right? I mean, notice the language. Now, this is a guy who was taken up to the third heavens and told specifically, you know, um, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not removing the thorn in your flesh. Right? right? And yet, here's all this language of like, yeah, we think. Mm-hmm. If it sounds good. Totally. Right? This is how you talk about God's will. Even if you think you've received right. some specific word. Or he will say, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Okay. I yeah. think it necessary. I mean, this has always been my favorite. This was like the first huge church council, the dispute of like the relationship between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And they, and they said, the, the Jerusalem council very famously wrote, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us yeah. not to burden you. Okay. As, as soon as I send Artemis and Tychius to you, do your best to come to me because I have decided to winter there. No calling. I just, no, I just, I th- it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. Right. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible. Yeah. If possible. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's just hilarious. Um, so what Paul's introducing, which is totally consistent with all the new creation stuff, is partnership. Yep. You know, that I, I'm immersed uh, in the life and voice of Jesus so that I'm aware of the story and of the things that are most important in the kingdom. And that's how I'm pursuing the kingdom. Right. And then I'm living that kingdom out. And as I'm living that kingdom out, I'm making decisions. Yep. And I pray for those decisions. I ask for wisdom for those decisions. I ask if God does have a specific thing that he'd reveal that. Right. But I, I don't wait on that. I act. Yeah. And, and I believe Paul and Paul's life demonstrates that God will redirect. Now, I think Paul and his calling are totally unique. And I don't think that's normative for the Christian life. Um, now, and some would totally disagree with that. Some of our Pentecostal friends would totally disagree with that. And that's totally fine. 
the biggest thing I want to aim at is the the emptiness of the God talk, and say no. Let's just let's just start. Let's just agree to say okay. I'm not going to use. I feel called. I feel led. I feel at peace. God yeah. told me. God spoke to me. Let's just say no. It seemed it seemed wise. Yeah, and even if you do think that Paul is not a special case or so, like the then you. But looking at what he's saying, like you just illustrated, is asking something different. It's not asking for you to be, to be what Paul was, and it, it's to say, well, okay, this is what Paul. If you're going to disseminate out what Paul is saying, it's not saying that everyone's going to have a singular divine revelation. So it, totally. it's regardless of whether you think that Paul is set apart or not. Yeah. And that it's still what he's saying is what you just said. So it's. It's kind of a moot point almost. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point. Yeah. We, we have enough of God's will to know. Exactly. And we like to build different wills to. Yeah. For fear. Yeah. To, to for point. risk management, to manipulate, yep. to deal with our own insecurity. I mean, and that's the part we just want to get rid of. We just want to say, no, no, no. I mean. I think God does speak, but I think his speaking is far different yes. than the narcissistic blessing that I pursued most of my Christian life. And it looks far more like a community of people seeking the kingdom together and asking how best to embody right. the reality of the risen Jesus in their midst. So I think this stuff is fascinating because a lot of questions, so when, when you know we talk about that God speaks in community more so than he speaks to whatever, you know, we've talked about in the past. Yeah. And then the question follows like, well, what does that mean? And how does, what does that look like? Right. And so we is talked it a about church? that a little is bit in this a... episode. Yes. But I, it... but I, and, cause I know I can hear those questions coming. And so I think that the new creation series offers some answers to that. Absolutely. And then the Sermon on the Mount series also does that. And looking at Jesus just kind of paring down what he is saying yeah. in, a, in a faith that's looking at Jesus of Nazareth and then picking apart what his will is or his vocation that he's calling us to or whatever, look at his words for what he does with that. Yeah. And then seeking the wisdom of understanding that within a group of people, I think is a yeah. fruitful place for communities to start right. doing exactly this, like un- undoing undoing all the kind of wires that we have built into us that we were raised with all this language that you just picked apart and then looking at you know and use some of that stuff to to build that back because i think it begs really interesting questions about like we and we've talked about this our, our churches are built on a consumer mindset of that most of us just go on sunday to be to basically purchase teaching or purchase yeah. a good to that gets us through the week or whatever and that's opposite of everything you just laid out about wisdom so and we, we look to a group of elders and then this hierarchy to build yeah um to walk us into heaven basically totally and we pay them to do that and it's like this is not what that is like this is not what communal yeah i don't think this is that's not what this community looks like is us just going in and consuming yeah it's it's something so much better and so yeah. much more rewarding than the version that we've built. And, and it doesn't look like 20 elders sitting in a room debating a point of theology. Right. You know, I mean, it could. But for me, um, the picture we get are of these small house churches. 
of people who were meeting regularly and involved in each other's lives in a big way. Who, as people inside of each other's lives, would struggle, wrestle, question, right? I mean, obviously, from Paul's letters, we realize, like, the, the churches in Corinth were ornery. Right, they were. They were. They had uh, tons of questions. Paul, Paul's just answering their questions. He's just doing Q and A with them. So it looks like smaller groups of people, um, immersed and agree, immersed in the reality of the risen Jesus, doing their best to walk in His example, uh, but having to improvise when His example doesn't lead us specifically to, um, well, what about, you know, birth, uh, birth control mm-hmm. or I- IVF or death penalty or whatever. And then we're improvising, right? And part of that is sitting in tension in community and um, doing the hard work of actually listening. And, you know, part of, um, part of what we and how we do the podcast is this. I, th- I feel like we embody the the questioning and the spurring on and the sharing of like well what about this and how what do we think of this and this seems awful and we, what we sit with rebuke and pushback too if oh yes I, which I think is important because like the you know as you've mentioned before when you're when you're doing that when you're improvising and you're parsing through and trying to cultivate wisdom in a group of people and you're being like I don't know this is a gray area we're gonna yeah talk this through and, and decide this together and then you look at the fruit of that and if the fruit is Come spoiled on. often it's like okay yeah. we, we let's turn around <laughs> we have chosen poorly yes exactly that's the yes. second last crusade reference of the yes. podcast boom all right <laughs> well i'll tell you what i hope this has raised some good questions for us so if you have thoughts man we'd love to hear them i have so tons fun. of thoughts and questions oh i know Oh, I know. That's why you're all. That's why you're the best, dude. Um, we've got a whole bunch about inerrancy that we'll get to probably next week, um, and then if we want to talk more about this. But I got through all nine pages. Yeah. And uh, there you go. All right. And, and that stuff I'm learning. I'm sure I haven't articulated it well, and there's more to nuance. But I don't know. Just that's kind of real time. Yeah. Anyway, we are so honored. We really, I mean, we deeply are honored to be a part of your life. We really are. And so um, uh, just, we just want to say thanks. We want to bless you as you go about the rest of your day or your drive or your workout. Or you've fallen asleep about half an hour ago and you're now dreaming, but this is still Wake going. Up. Put on a little makeup. <laughs> System of a Down reference, ladies and gentlemen. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace and um, may he heal my bronchitis. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials, 
facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us